YouTube videos. And this guy was like, this is every, yeah, every work of passion. You have to set it for a food and drug. I love that anyone who's seen it can make sense of it. part of this sermon series called Unstuck, How to Rise Above the Worst Day of Your Life, or the, I don't know if you are like me, but you have, like, I think I had the worst day of my life, and then two years later, I have the next worst day of my life, and then the next worst day of my life, um, but if, have you guys ever had a really bad day? Just a really bad day? Um, I found some pictures of some really bad days, okay? So here's the first, um, this is trying to get off the bus bad day. <laughs> trying to get off the bus bad day. Um, this is pick the wrong porta potty bad day. <laughs> this is do it the self do it yourself project bad day. Yeah, that <laughs> here is the Sunday drive stops instantly bad day. I like this because she's smiling. <laughs> it's almost like, yep, that happened. Um, here's family picture bad day. Family picture gone wrong bad day. I know. At least it was on the beach sand, okay? Soft sand. Okay. Okay, and then this is just about to have a bad day. <laughs> and then here is here's a video have you ever felt like this on a bad day mailbox <laughs> and then you watch your video and you see them anyway amazing well first Samuel first uh, Samuel 30 has the story of not just a bad day but it's the worst day of David's life his possessions were stolen his house is burned down his family's kidnapped the worst day of David's, li David's life in the Old Testament. Now, David's response for us provides like a pattern for us to not get stuck in our strategy or to not get stuck in our, our, our tragedy. Um, and seeing God carry us into something new to see restoration happen in our lives. So week one, if you were here, we talked about, you know what? In the, on the worst day of your life, it's okay to weep. It's okay to weep, but don't let that weeping t 
turn into bitterness and anger, okay? So that was week, that was week one. Don't let that, don't let that, what happened, don't let your tragedy, like, prevent you from moving forward. Like, let's, don't let your heart get bitter. And then week two, which is last week, we talked about encouraging yourself in the Lord and then getting a word from God. In the worst day of David's life, David actually was able to pray to God, God, what do you think about what's going on? What should I do? And God gave him this word, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. David got a word from God, and then today I want to talk about what's next. What do we do after we get our word from God of recovering all? And so David asked God, what should I do? Should I pursue? Should I pursue the Amalekites? And the response is absolutely. David received the word from God, yes, go after them. And with that word, David found fresh hope and newfound faith to just continue the journey. David believed God's vision for the future and not his circumstances. David believed what God was saying to him enough to do something differently in his life okay sometimes we believe the circumstances all surrounding us and we haven't said god what are you saying about the real reality in my life so we see the circumstances and we just we just get disappointed our hearts broken we are we're weeping like part one was talking about but we we don't ask God, God, what are you saying? What are your thoughts about this situation on the worst day of your life? So I've shared parts of my story before with you. Um, the first, my first time full ministry, first time doing full-time ministry was the year two, 2000. Uh, I moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota from Florida, and we started a church plant. And um, my overseer, after two and a half years in, he took all of our finances and then um, he betrayed Kate and I through that whole process um, Kate and I got really hurt I became you could say mad and cynical towards the church I'm like this is that guy that's supposed to represent the church what's going on all I could see in that situation was my pain okay and um, Kate and I I mean it's it's a horrible story uh, there's redemption through the story, but I walked away from this thing that Kate and I started from scratch that had 300 people, like, full of life, full, like, everything was so good about this church plant, and then I really, I just had to walk away, and it, it was super painful, um, and I would, I had a hard time with the church for quite a while, and so as I was doing that, um, I, you know, I left Minneapolis, Minnesota. We went, moved to Atlanta to help to work at the Atlanta Vineyard as the college pastor there. And as I was there, uh, my heart is like still not right. Like I can tell like there's a disconnect between me as a pastor in the church, like having a hard time with the lo local church, right? I'm like, I don't, I don't really like the church right now. And I needed to ask God, God, what do you want to say about this situation for me? And so I went on this, um, I went to Gorges State Park in North Carolina. And as I was there, um, I was hiking with my friend Sean. And we hiked this trail that was three miles long. 
and we got to this, um, we're on this river, and there was like around this river bend, there was this beautiful picturesque spot for families and people to just hang out. So let me just paint the picture for you. It's this river bend with a water hole in the middle, and there was this little rock. It must have been like um, a rock. There was a little tiny water. It wasn't a waterfall. It was a water slide where little kids were sliding down it, right? It was beautiful. Beautiful, picturesque moment. Families were hanging out on these big boulders having a picnic together, okay? It was awesome. And at this, at this scene, there was like about 50 to 75 people scattered all over the place. People are swimming. They're diving off the rock. Little kids are sliding off this, this, this rock into the water. And it was just beautiful. Beautiful day, North Carolina, okay? So there I am, and I said, Sean said, let's stop. And I said, no, I, I heard that there's a waterfall not too far from here. So we had hiked three miles, but we were ready. You know, we we're both a little out of shape, and we both said, well, I said, let's just continue on to the real destination. Because everybody was told, like, there's this amazing destination if you get past this spot. So it's 50, 75 people hanging out here, and I said, Sean, let's just keep going. So we go, we walk no more than a half mile later, and we saw something that looked like this. Okay. Now, I stood at the base of this thing, and my heart pounded. Something in my heart was quickened by the Spirit of God, and I was saying, God, what are you saying about my current situation? And I really felt like the Spirit of God told my heart, this what you're seeing here is a picture of my church. And I want to take my church here, but everybody's stuck back there. I want to take my church here, and guess what? Sean and I were the only two people at this waterfall as I stood and stared at it for over an hour. And, like, I was at the base, and the water spray, I, like, I, at the end, I was just soaked. But we were the only ones that visited. Everybody else was back over at this water hole. And the, guess what? The water hole was nice. It was, it was quaint. It was a good place to have a picnic. But guess what? There's a place that God has for the church that is adventure and risk and health and new life and vitality and something that quickens you to rise up in the morning and say, I want to follow Jesus. Something about the awe of God that I experienced in this moment. And all of a sudden, my heart knew exactly. It was like I got this word from the Lord, and all of a sudden, my heart fell back in love with the church again. It was that easy, a word from God that quickened my heart in the middle of maybe one, as, a, as somebody that I knew I was called a full-time ministry right after my right around my undergrad college years but you're in a bad place when you know you're called to ministry and you don't like the church right you don't like the church so so god had to do something to me the day before david all david could see his story is all he could see is loss and sorrow today david had a new vision to recover all in that moment all i could see was my pain I received the word from the Lord. I found new vision, fresh faith, new hope for the church. 
And this, this happened like um, 17 years ago now. And every time the Holy Spirit, like every time I face a really difficult situation in the church, the Holy Spirit reminds me of this moment. There's the place, John, that I'm calling you to take the church to. And not that the water hole is bad. Some of you guys need refreshing. Awesome. But let me tell you, there's a deep place in God's kingdom that he's calling us to. There's a deep place of healing and wholeness and restoration and new life and something that quickens you. That's what God's calling us to. I can hear David saying, I see victory in the middle of burnt down, his burnt down city, Ziklag. In the middle of all that, David was able to say, I see victory. We're going to rise up. We're going to pursue the Malachites. We're going to recover all. We're going to recover every daughter, every son, every wife that's been held hostage, that's been kidnapped, every animal that's been taken, every, every ounce of gold and silver that the Malachite's stolen. We're going to recover all of it. To recover all on the worst day of your life, you must find a way to see beyond your current circumstances to a fresh vision that God is calling you to be a part of. A vision of recovering all in your life. You must be, be convinced that God wants you to recover. You have to be. Um, just as any good father wants his children to succeed in life, guess what? Your Heavenly Father is for you. God is for you. Um, so my wife and I, we have five kids. Two of them, we had three. We're like happy family. And then all of a sudden we had, oh, we're, we're having... Two more. Anyway, uh, my littlest one right now, so I have a 17-year-old all the way down to a 3-year-old. And so my 3-year-old, about a month ago, he got really, he's just sick. He's throwing up. And Kate doesn't like to deal with the, the barf, so um, she kind of puts me on it. And um, in the middle of the night, Shepard's like sitting up and he's throwing up and I'm holding the bucket. And I'm just there with him. And, um, you know, he... He's, he's, he sleeps in between, right? But he's every, like, hour, he's like, all over the place. It was horrible. And so there I am as a dad just caring for him. The interesting thing happened. Uh, he wakes up the next morning, and he's, like, ready to go. Okay, like, just like, you know, they have 24-hour bugs. Well, he had, like, an eight-hour bug. Barfing every hour on the hour, and then done completely. Well, um, he wakes up the next morning. He's ready to go, and he goes, Dad, I love you. You're good, Dad. Good, Dad. I love you. <laughs> so cute, right? Uh, and the interesting thing is from that point forward, over the last month, he will randomly come up. So he's like this tall, right? And he'll randomly come up and kiss my leg right here. And he just kisses it. And you guys, I want you to know our Heavenly Father is so much better of a dad for you and I, than I could ever, ever be. Our Heavenly Father is for you. For you recovering all in your life. Our Heavenly Father is for you to recover all. 1 Samuel 30, verse 9. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Besser. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook, so David continued the pursuit with 400 men. So David had 600 men. 
200 are just so exhausted they cannot cross the ravine. And then verse 11. Along the way they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. And uh, this Egyptian man, was an, he was an Egyptian slave. He was left for dead by the Malachites. And David struck a deal with this guy, with this Egyptian. And he said, if you take me to the Malachites, we'll, we'll basically take care of you. So he, they struck this deal, and David, uh, he took David to the top of this ridge, and below this ridge are all the Malachites in the valley. There's probably thousands, a couple thousand Amalekites, maybe 2,000 Amalekites, spread out all over the valley floor. Now the Amalekites, they're feasting on their lambs. Okay, they're feasting on their lambs. They're drinking their, David and his men's wine. They're dancing with their wives by force. David sees this scene, this, and David got mad, really mad. Because on the worst day of your life, there's a time to weep, and there's also a time to get mad. There's a time to shake off passivity. In, in light of the New Testament, it's clear that hatred is never directed towards other human beings. That's very clear. Um, even those who are who are our enemies. Jesus very clearly teaches us to love our enemies. That's non-negotiable, okay? But Jesus' mandate does not count for our real enemy. And it doesn't apply to the demonic realm and the devil and the spiritual realm. Well, you guys, when you think about evils of this world, whether it be Violence, injustice, poverty, disease, human trafficking, child abuse, genocide, racism. It should make you angry. It really should. And a dispassionate attitude towards evil by the church, is, it's just unacceptable. The mission of Jesus is kind of like the seek and destroy mission. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We see that in Luke 19.10. But he also came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8. So let me tell you a little Brian story. He's a pastor now in Missouri. Brian was in seventh grade, and uh, Brian was in gym class, and this taller boy that was bigger, a um, little bit older, that was at least six to eight inches above Brian's head, um, they said this, he got picked on for a while, and finally this older kid that was a little taller said, Brian, I'll see you after school. And you know what, that, that's code, right? That's, there's going to be a fight. And so Brian's thinking, Brian's afraid, he, he's like, he slows down the whole process of getting dressed and, you know, grabbing his, he just like waits in the locker room forever. Finally, he's like, he can't wait any longer, and he's thinking maybe the boy left and forgot about it, but he gets out of the locker room, and there is like a hundred kids, because there's nothing like a, a fight in seventh grade that's going to draw a crowd, right? So there's Brian, and he doesn't want to fight. He's afraid. And so he kind of puts up his fists, and this bigger kid just like, bam, 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 and Brian goes to the ground. And this other kid's like walking away, and everybody's like, yeah! And then a couple, Brian's on the ground, and he starts to hear laughing at Brian. And Brian's like, 
Now, Brian didn't like getting punched, but there's a certain moment where Brian, seventh grader Brian's, like lying on the floor saying, that's not okay. It's not okay that they're laughing at me. And so Brian, seventh, seventh grade, he stands up and he runs to this other kid that's now like this. He jumps on this kid's back, takes his hat, pulls it over his head, and begins to beat the snot out of this other kid. Okay? Now, some of you guys have been beat up by the devil. And you've been afraid. You've been hit hard. You've been knocked down, and it's painful. Guess what? Now it's time to get mad. You can't just lie there and let the devil laugh at you. Get mad. Get up. Begin to fight. I'll tell you a secret. Our enemy is counting on you staying down, not getting back up, because when you get back up, it changes everything. You get back up, it changes everything. The devil would love for you to remain passive and docile and lose your fight, to lie down and give up. Actually, in fact, that urge to lie down is often very demonic in nature, in origin. The prophet Isaiah describes a defeated people who have lost the capacity to fight and are passively becoming dormant, doormats for their tormentors. He says that their tormentors will taunt us saying this, lie down that we might walk over you. Lie down that we might walk over you. Is that what you're going to do? Are you going to lie down and be the devil's doormat? Because when David saw the Malachites dancing, he was ready to fight. Don't let the enemy dance over your defeat. Don't let it happen, guys. The game isn't over. You're not out. If you can regain your passion and renew your fight, things will change. Things can change for you. It was now or never, and David decides to attack at sundown. And it was true that they're badly outnumbered, okay? It's at least five to one. At least five to one. But it didn't matter, because guess what David was fighting for? David was fighting for his family and his children and his wife. He was willing, like, there was too much at, at stake. He's either going to fight or it's all going to be lost. All their belongings, all their friends, their spouses, their children. And as the sun set, David's 400 men silently went to this ridge. And there's a certain point where they're watching the Amalekites. And finally, David, David can't take it anymore. It's sundown. They're ready to go. And David pulls out his sword. And he says, attack! And 400 men followed him. You guys like the sword? I just got it off Amazon. <laughs> I love Amazon. You can get stuff that you can't get anywhere else. Um, but David gave the command, attack! And guess what happened? All 400 men ran down to that valley, and they fought the fight of their life. Because everything was at stake. Everything, their family and their kids and their sheep and their goats and their livelihood. 
was all down in that valley. And they had one opportunity. It's attack or, or go home. The Malachites in the, are in their drunken stupor. And David, they go attack. And after 24 hours, 24-hour fight, the battle's finally won. They reclaimed their animals and their gold and silver and their daughters and sons and their wives. Now, the Old Testament war stories provide for us a powerful metaphor to help us understand the deadly, serious, and how deadly and serious our struggle is against the principalities and powers. And so let me show you Ephesians 6. In this text, you should read all of Ephesians 6. It's, it's this text that pushes us to say there's actually a real battle that we're facing. The kingdom of God, as it breaks in, is there's, there's, there's an enemy at hand. And what are we going to do? What's our response? So here's Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Guys, this struggle is real. We can't wish it away, like it or not. We are engaged in a struggle with spiritual wickedness. And once you identify the work of the enemy in your life, you need to adopt, adopt an aggressive fighting attitude and attack it. You can't just passively lie there any longer. You can't do it in your life. It's not what God intended for you to do. You've got to rise up and attack. Let's go for it. Sometimes that battle is going to take 24 hours like it did for David. Sometimes it might take longer. But you've got to get up. You cannot be passive any longer. We don't have the time to be passive any longer. Now, just, be, just because there's a moment in your life when it looks like the victory is all lost and hope is gone, remember, you've got to remember the strange, absurd ways that God works. Remember death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This three-act drama. Uh, there was a seed taken, a single seed from a 600-year-old baby rattle in Argentina. It was found in the tomb of Santa Rosa del Pasatil. Um, it germinated. They took it out. They planted it. It germinated in 1969, and it grew to six feet. A 600-year-old seed. Um, wheat and pea seeds found in tombs of Egypt, they grew after 3,000 years. Guys, this is the power of, this is our story. So on the worst day of your life, you may see nothing but death and burial. Don't forget Act 3, resurrection. Don't forget Act 3, resurrection. The powers of darkness that Paul describes here in Ephesians 6 and that Jesus regularly encountered in the Gospels, they're like the Amalekites who waited for the opportune moment to attack Ziglag and steal everything good. First Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to, 
steal, kill, and destroy. Our enemy wants to take away everything good in your life and everything good that God intends to do in your life. And if you're going to counter these attacks and recover what's been lost, you have to adopt an aggressive posture. You've got to press the battle, and sometimes you just have to attack. Okay? You have to. Um, so, what does this look like? John, what do you, give us an example, like a real-life example. Um, one time I was in a prayer meeting, and somebody prayed. They said, in Jesus' name, asthma be gone. And um, I felt like this just freedom. I had had asthma for 25 years of my life, okay? I just, I had this instant freedom. And I, I had freedom for five years. And then, all of a sudden, I was like, I need my inhaler again. And I remember thinking, I, I really sense God, I felt this healing. I had actually not had to use an inhaler for five years, and now all of a sudden I needed the inhaler again. And so, uh, I used the inhaler now for five more years, but then I was in a transition time in my life, and I ran out of money to buy the to prescription. And I just, I, I remember thinking, no way, this is the enemy's work in my life. No! And I said, I'm going to attack! And I just said, no way. You, this is like the enemy's work in my life. There's no way I'm going to let this thing, I sense God healing at one point, it was there for five years. Now I've been on this inhaler again for another five years. What in the world? Um, there was so much freedom when I didn't have to use it. And um, so I got to this point where I just said, no way. This is the enemy's work in my life, and I'm going to push in. And so, and partly it was because I didn't have money, <laughs> right, for the prescription. Partly I was just tired of, like, letting the enemy just walk over me. So I, I just said, no, I put my foot down, and... I just sense God saying, if you need your inhaler, use it, but guess, I'm, I'm offering you some freedom. And so I just sensed that, and I, I took a big, deep breath in. I felt the presence of God, and I just said, no way, I'm attacking. And um, since that moment, it's been 10 years now. I haven't used an inhaler, and I've had freedom. But I had to get to the point where I said, no, like, I, this maybe isn't, an attack from the enemy. And I wouldn't have necessarily had that had not God brought healing to my life in that one moment. I would not have recognized it. Make sense? So it could be all kinds of situations for you. Um, in my own life, I, sometimes I can tell when the enemy's at work when there's similar things happening over and over again. And so there's moments where I have to say, no, this is like a spiritual attack. No, bad things happen, right? Sometimes life stinks. And I, I want to acknowledge that. But let me tell you, when there's a similar thing that happens over and over again, there's a good chance that it might just be the enemy at work in your life. Okay? Um, and I, I, I hear at the vineyard, there's, there's well, we, we're this radical middle where this stuff's real. And at the same time, there's, just so you know, there's not a demon behind every bush and every, every tree. Okay? Um, but there's a very real enemy that the church faces. So some churches are like, everything's a demon. And over on the other side, it's like, there's no spiritual battle at all. We're fine. And just like pretend it all doesn't exist. And we're this place of radical middle where it's, it's like, it's, it's a place of yes, this stuff's real. 
But there's, guess what? There's not a demon behind every bush, okay? Don't, don't walk away afraid or anything like that. But there's a time where you've got to press the line. You've got to push in. You've got to fight. You've got to fight. Okay, practical tips. Number one, in the middle of the worst day of your life, find a way to see beyond the crisis and establish vi- a vision of recovering all. You must be convinced that God wants you to recover. Uh, God is for you. Where do you want to be in the weeks from weeks to come? What's next? And so you got to ask that question. God, if you can actually get it in your brain and heart that God wants you to recover, that's half the battle. If some of you don't think, oh, God want, doesn't want any, I'm, you know, I'm just, I have to be miserable my whole life. No, that's not God's plan for you. The king, think about this. The kingdom of God that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago is trying to invade and push out all this, all this negative stuff. So what if the perfectness of heaven was invading our current reality right now? What would the perfectness of heaven look like in your situation? That's God's desire and design for your life, okay? In relationships, in people, in all kinds of situations. Number two, Jesus was frequently angry, but he never sinned in his anger. Paul reminds us to be angry, but do not sin, Ephesians 4. 26. Jesus' anger was never based in selfishness or personal offense. Jesus was angry with sin, hypocrisy, religious abuse. Uh, Jesus, I mean, you look at, Jesus was constantly, he was angry towards the religious abuse that all the, le- the high leadership in the synagogue had 2,000 years ago. The religious elite that didn't allow the average person to connect with God, he was angry with that stuff, okay? Um, and he was always angry at the devil and his works. So get angry, but don't let that move into sin. Ask yourself if your anger is for a worthy cause and reflects God's heart. If not, let it go. There is a time you get angry, but your home base is joy, not anger, okay? Remember that. Um, Number three. Uh, Since our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual entities, uh, the New Testament speaks in terms of our spiritual weapons that we have at our disposal. Let's use them. The first one's the Word of God. The Word of God is called the Sword of the Spirit, guys. The Word of God is called the Sword. The Bible is called the Sword of the Spirit for a reason. Okay? When it's been hidden in our heart and it's spoken with our mouths, Jesus, that's, that's what it takes right there. That, it becomes his sword to fight our battles. Uh, Jesus prevails in his battle with sa- satanic temptation in the wilderness by using the word of God and saying three times, it is written. Okay, when the enemy wants to attack, sometimes it'll be even in the form of like uh, a friend, a relative. It'll, sometimes the enemy even twists the Bible and Jesus would counter that. No, it's written here. No, it's written. Okay? Um, guess what you need, guys? You need a sword of the Spirit. You need a sword of the Spirit. You don't need a pocket knife of the Spirit. Wait, let me just pull this pocket. You can't see it probably. This is a pocket knife. You don't need a pocket knife. You need a sword of the Spirit. You need a sword of the Spirit. 
Hide God's word in your heart. John 3, just memorize John 3, 16 is not enough. When you're facing the worst day of your life, you have to have God's word hidden in your heart so you can counter that attack. That's the first point. Second part is in Jesus' name. Uh, Jesus is the authoritative name in the kingdom of God. As we engage powers of darkness in our battle, we do not do so in our own name or authority. Just saying the name Jesus sends the enemy running. Let's use that name. No, in Jesus' name. No. Stop. In Jesus' name. And number three, the third part of this one, prayer and worship. Jesus explained to his disciples that some demons could not be cast out except by much prayer. That's in Mark 9. Uh, when you worship God, there's a powerful force in the spiritual realm that's released against the devil and the and so push in. Sometimes in the middle of your battle, it's as simple as just worship. Just worship. God, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, let your kingdom come. Okay. I went way too long today. Why don't you guys stand with me? And uh, why don't we have our ministry team come on up? If you're here today and you need some prayer, we'd love to pray for you. We're going to sing this last song. This will be our kind of closing prayer, our benediction. Uh, but if you're here today, and maybe, maybe, just maybe you've, lay, you've laid down, and that's where your kind of heart is right now. You, you've given up. You've let the tormentors walk over you. You're saying, no way, I'm not doing that anymore. I want to encourage you, if that's you, you have felt like you've given up, it's time to rise up and stand. Maybe just get some prayer because it's time for you to wake up. Um, maybe you're, today you're in the middle of your battle and you're tired and we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you need a vision to actually recover all. Maybe you're, you're, you're at the point where you're like lying down and you just you don't even have vision to see beyond. And so I want to encourage you, if that's you, get some prayer this morning. up in our pre-service prayer meeting. You just need a word from the Lord. You need a word from the Lord in the middle of the worst day of your life. And we talked about that last week, but you haven't gotten that word. Um, I encourage you to get some prayer for that. Or maybe you're here and you feel like you're completely bound. We'd love to pray for you. You need freedom in your life. We'd love to pray for you. And the last one is stomach issues that have been going on really long term. We'd love to pray for that as well. Let's sing this song together and just like...